Okay, um, if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to invite you. You can go on the app. You can go in the back. We'd love to give away Bibles just like this one. Uh, we're going to invite you to be in the Bible for yourself. A great Sunday to be, if you're new to the Bible, first two pages. Easy to find. We're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. First page, maybe two pages in your Bible. Uh, we're in our series called Created. We're, we're marking, celebrating the freedom and beauty that is in God's design. And, and today, as we've been moving in this series, we've talked about what it means to be created in his image, how that image has been broken through our rebellion, that we are both culpable and inherent to. And then today, we're going to talk about male and female. And some of you are cringing in your seats going, I came that Sunday. Uh, we, we're, we're talking about it not because it's for com, uh, you know, controversy's sake, but for clarity's sake. Church, we need, we need to know how, how to speak into and have clarity on this issue. So it's going to be uh, just fair warning. I will offend. And if you know me, my nature is I'm an agreeable person and I don't want to. It's just, it's that difficult. And so uh, free invitation that if you're watching online, you feel that way. If you're in the room, uh, I'd, I'd love to speak with you afterwards or I'd love to have coffee. Um, even if just to hear... Uh, that this was an encouragement to you, or if this, you struggled with it, that's okay. So hopefully that was enough time for you to open up your app, open up your Bible. We're reading in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, and then chapter 2, 18 to 25. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Chapter 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them out to man to see them that he would, uh, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. Then he said, uh, then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. For, for anyone walking with us in this series, familiar text, we're launching from it every Sunday, building it out, giving you uh, foundations and, and handholds to grasp it, um, but, but deeply controversial. Some of you are already, you know, maybe uncomfortable in your seats going, I wonder where we're going. And again, we're, we're trying to recapture the freedom and the beauty that is in God's design, made in his image, broken through our rebellion, male and female, he created them. And today, as we talk about that, we're going to talk about God's design, our distortion, and the discovery of the gospel. And I really want you to hang in 
till we get to that point. Because if we talk about the design, that if there is a creator, the creator has a purpose. The creator has a design. And he, what the creator speaks into creation is ultimately what it is. And what we see happening is these broad strokes. Again, for anyone getting kind of stuck, if you're new to your Bibles, reading Genesis chapter 1, and really chapter 2 is kind of a more detailed counterpart to chapter 1, it's written as a Hebrew poem. We lose that. But you see that in the, in the course of seven days, activity that mirrors, you know, separating darkness and light, land, and sea, that a whole, we know this to be true, a whole lot of activity is going on in those events that is not meant for us to dive into, but actually meant to attribute to a creator God. And what happens is we move from the broad strokes to the detail, it lands on this, male and female. Now, every commentator, and believe me, I did a lot of study this week, when you're handling a hot potato like this, you got to back it up with some study. Every commentator goes, that's significant. That's important. It's saying something to us that is about the equality, the distinction, and the gender that says something that is archetypal. That means it's supposed to be built on throughout the scripture story that is for us to receive. And what we see in his design is this, that there is a picture of the image that, again, we're meant to be reflections of the creator, his goodness, his character, to all creation that is present, both male and female. Now, some of you are like, that's okay, I, I received that, that's, that's great. Some of you are already in your hearts perhaps drawing battle lines because you know where I might be going. And so I want to simply take a step back and, and kind of tee up the morning this way. If I could summarize this morning's message in one word, it would be ambitious. We're going to try and hit a lot of things, but we have to. Because male and female speaks to a lot of things. In fact, this is the forefront uh, of where the evangelistic, that's not evangelical, evangelistic, that is our witness to a world that doesn't know Jesus, is being fought. And so we, church, we are not talking about this to be controversial, but for clarity, that you would have uh, an ability to stand in your Bibles, an ability to stand in your own understanding, an ability to speak in both grace and truth. We, what, what our world needs, what we need in this moment, what we're going to point you towards is Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, He who came and was full of grace and truth. Because again, the extension of Jesus that the world needs is he sends us as his church to be again restored image bearers. Not reflecting ourselves, our ideologies, our values, but pointing to him as the only one who is pure in design. Let me quickly explain what I mean by that. That without Jesus, this message falls flat and it just becomes moralism. And we're not going there. We, we need to speak to his design. We need to speak it as a question of equality, distinction, and gender. Male and female are created equal. Some of you are like, yes, I like that. Okay, good. We're moving on in a, a good start. But I need to say that because we, we know historically, culturally, some of you have even experienced, some of you have heard um, people use the Bible and abuse it in such a way to, to, to create hierarchy. Usually where males are elevated in some way where we don't see dominance or prominence built out 
in Genesis 1. Rather, we see equality. And if you're like, show me where it is so that I can have footing for myself, I'm glad you asked that. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. Adam, and Adam is Hebrew for Adam, which means man, creative name, speaks what is a word of, of encouragement, hope, but also clarity to the woman when he says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. How is Adam made? Out of the dust. You know, humanity, are, are, we're dirtbags. <laughs> but notice this. But the woman is, is different. The woman, he, he says, he took a rib. Actually, the Hebrew translation would be, he took from Adam's side. That's significant. It wasn't his front, wasn't his back. Out of his side to be partnered, standing with, co-laboring. And he builds woman. The, the image is this. There, when he says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, he says, we're the same stuff. God did not take premium dirt for one and you know, subpar leftover dirt for the other. This is significant. It actually helps us build out an understanding that the same stuff, equal. He says, when I, when I see you, I, I see something mirrored back of myself. Think of the activity where God parades all the animals. It, it, he wasn't looking for companionship. He was looking for co-laboring. If it was companionship, he would have been like, dog, we're set. You know, come, come with me. If you're a cat person, I'm sorry. Cat would have left. <laughs> he says, no, I see something of, of myself, and this is, this is good. It is a co-laboring, and there's a completion in that. They are equal. Moreover, we, we see as this builds out, and, and I anticipate the argument that some of you would, would say, well, okay, equal. Are they? There is distinction. Equal yet distinct. And I will appeal to this on two fronts. One is specific revelation, which speaks to what we understand of God, what is revealed about God through his word, specifically the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But also through general revelation, that's put the Bible aside. What do we know of God, his goodness, and his creation? If all that you can ascribe to today is, I believe in a creator, then what do we understand of him by looking at his creation? And let us begin there. That we would push against an argument saying, no, 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 no. Humanity is equal and, and indistinguishable. This is the trajectory, by the way, of our culture. And I'm not saying this to be controversial, but to add clarity and actually speak to what we inherently know. I want to keep a, a, you know, a PG rating this morning, but parents, you, you know how to teach this to your kids. Go into a, a, a private room and on a dress, and you know there is distinction. It is self-evident. You're like, well, the pastor just said that. Awkward. Our culture would speak to this too. Actually, if you're paying any attention to the news and you like sports, you'll know the controversy surrounding NCWA swimming champion Leah slash Will Thomas, who the sporting community is in uprage as a biological male, transgendered female, is dominating in the sports. And, and putting transgendered issues aside, speaking to the issue of we know instinctively the, the distinction, 
between what is male and female, that there is just there's testosterone, musculature, wingspan that makes this athlete a much more adept and, and proficient swimmer than anyone else on the playing field. And even when we would say, well, that's, that's too conservative, that's too narrow-minded, even Caitlyn Jenner, former Olympian, biological male, transgender female, is speaking out against this, but very clearly saying, this wokest culture is making me sick. Like, that, that grabs your attention, does it not? Not speaking to transgender equality, but speaking to the distinction, male and female, saying, we know that the playing field is unfair and something needs to change. Calling upon the NCAA to revisit their policies. General revelation. It, we know it to be true. But we also know this through Scripture. Scripture says that, and it's foundational to our argument, that there's, they're equal yet distinct, male and female. Scripture is actually much more robust, and, it, and you might know where I'm going, and I'll speak to it in a moment. These are complementary roles. Hebrew scholars would invite us to remember that it is not the qualities of humanity, but the purposes of humanity which mirror the image of God. And we see something in chapter 2, verse 18, the task before Adam that is beyond him, bigger than him, and, and needs to be remedied is not his aloneness. Again, not needing a companion, needing a co-laborer. And he says there is no helper suitable for him. Some of your translations might say helpmate. And some of the ladies in the room might cringe going, I hate this talk. And I would encourage you this way. When you hear the word helper, think capital H, helper, the Holy Spirit. Who Jesus says to the church, says to his disciples, it's going to be better that I go. Because the capital H, helper, will come and enhance everything I do. Women, I think that's true. The issue is not aloneness, like we just need more manpower for the issue. We need something completely distinct yet equally valuable to make this thing work. And I'm not speaking to simply reproduction, and I'm not trying to be sexist as if to say it needed a feminist touch. Can we just say that we are incomplete in ourselves and need relationship and community to really make things work? I mean, that's the picture that's being built out here. It's beautiful. And actually, I, I've alluded to this already, and for those of you who care, I... I I lean towards, actually I'm firmly planted in, a complementarian view. And that's not to say I actually don't want to be egalitarian. Complementarian saying simply the banner cry would be this, equal yet distinct. Egalitarian, equal and indistinguishable in every way. I'd love to be on that side. You know why? I would have far fewer difficult conversations, particularly in this day. But I'll tell you why I land in a complementarian view, and for anyone who actually bothers, and, and, and you need to hear this, we can still be friends, co-laborers in Christ. That is not an issue. Some of my, my closest pastor friends are egalitarian, and we, we're trying to push each other, but we like our distinctions. But, but here's why I can't move from this place. One, I just can't look at Scripture and, and convince myself otherwise even from a heart that wants to. 
And particularly as I see the creation account and the notion of a helper who's come to enhance, complete, rescue what was not good in and of itself. It actually echoes and mirrors something of the mind-boggling, you know, head-exploding doctrine of the Trinity where, where Adam says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, we're of the same stuff. We understand God in relationship saying, let us, Father, Son, Spirit, create them male and female in our image. It, it's saying, we, we know this to be true. God is one in three persons made of the same stuff. There's a relational quality. There's a distinction quality. There's something there that we need to uh, wrestle with and accept in a way that actually makes our humanity that much more beautiful. And it also raises the issue of gender. And I'm going to use the word gender and sex interchangeably, not to be uh, offensive, but actually just to be clear on the biblical stance. That in Scripture, it's binary. Now, before and recognizing that I have probably offended someone in the room, uh, I need to say this. I fully accept and appreciate that somebody might say, well, I don't identify that way. We, we don't see any kind of movement away from this in Scripture until after human rebellion, until after creation shakes its fist at God and says, not your design, but mine. And so I think it's actually reasonable to understand that our world is still trying to make sense of this because that is part of the condition that we've inherited. And it's very, if you're, you're just kind of waking up to this, this is very much where we're at as Western culture. The WHO would recognize things, uh, sorry, this saying this. While sex refers to the ge genetic qualities, gender refers to how one identifies on the inside. Only the individual, therefore, can determine what gender identity, their gender identity is. See, again, the problem here is not that I want to put two camps of, you know, chest-thumping, you know, progressives in one side and, and squirming conservatives on the other side. It's actually that the problem is that if all we have is a subjective feeling and subjective truth that is governing us and our, our trajectory in life, then actually this opens the door for any possible thing. To actually looking online, I found ranging from 16 to 68 acceptable medical distinctions of gender. In fact, a more recent example of this is an American judge in a review of her competency was asked if she could provide a definition of a woman to which she replied, I can't, I'm not a biologist. I mean, she could have been snarky and just went, you're looking at one. And she couldn't even do that. I'm, I'm teeing this up in, in such a way. I'm, I'm presenting this in such a way that, that, that you see a problem. Now, let me be very gentle. The biblical argument is, is one of actually presenting a design that we're no longer familiar with. The psalmist in 139 says, Lord, you knew me when I was in my mother's womb. You knit me together. You stitched me. You knew my inner, inner parts. I wonder when the psalmist writes that, if there is a struggle now looking back on that knowledge, trying to accept it, going, there's something about me that I, I just struggle to accept because the, the 
issue that we're dealing with, really building off of what Trevor shared last Sunday, is that humanity in its our distortion has said, God, not your design, but mine. We've become heirs to that decision and we're culpable to it ourselves. And the gospel story is this, that creation is estranged from a creator because we've run amok without the blueprints of his goodness. So we've come up empty and we're trying to find through our actions, our thoughts, and our evaluations, our ideologies, a way of making sense of ourselves. And so I want to be very clear when I say this. When we talk about our distortion, if we were to make a camp, it would simply be this, that Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that the only one who is undistorted is him, and all the rest of us would be in a camp of broken and distortion. This doesn't give us the right, and I want to be very clear and very compassionate, this doesn't give us the right to stand in a place where we would say to anyone else saying, well, you're wrong. We're wrong. In fact, that the church needs to be a place where anyone struggling in, in issues of equality, struggling in issues of understanding themselves, accepting themselves, imbalanced distinctions, body dysmorphia, transgenderism, and the list goes on, would be most accepted and welcome in a church community where they would be able to wrestle with and receive God's truth. Because for us to do anything else would actually be to abandon the very truth that we hold to and that has been so transformative to ourselves. That's what 2 Corinthians Chapter 3 is about that, that in a relationship with Jesus, we are being conformed into his image. We are regaining what we've lost, that job, that role, the beauty of his design as image bearers. And so let me kind of explain the distortion this way in a more universal sense. Romans 1, 22, 25 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and, and creeping things. Therefore, God made them, gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We forsake God's image for lesser ones and God in his grace and truth surrenders us to them. Actually, the, the Greek language for when it says gives them up is the picture of, you know, marching them over to their enemies. Saying, okay, that's where you want to go. I'll deliver you. I'll take you there. And that sounds harsh to us, but, that, you know, kicking and screaming, they're like, that's where we want to go. And God's like, okay. Here you go. And it says to the lusts of their hearts, that's actually a pretty good translation, but the most direct and literal translation would be to succumb to their infectious sufferings of the mind. They don't know what is real or reality. That's distortion, that is twisted, that is they're, they're stuck in themselves. Just as a sidebar, but I think this helps. If you've ever befriended or walked with somebody in addiction, and I have multiple friends who have, you know this understanding in, in a visceral way. What I mean is this. I, I have a friend. He's about 20-some years sober. 
He's a CEO in our city. He's very successful. But every time he introduces himself, he'll say, hi, I'm Mike, and I'm an alcoholic. And I remember hearing him say that once. And, and, at, and I challenged him. I was like, why do you have to do that? You know, why do you have to let people know? He's like, because I know there's something inside me that thinks the very thing that's killing me is what's going to save me, and I have to keep myself in check. We know this to be true from a psychological perspective, that the, when addiction comes into play, it actually changes the makeup of the brain, that the very thing that we know is killing us, we think will save us. And so we run back to it. And so we use it to cope. And we use it to save, and it's all the while destroying. Church, this, this is a really good picture of, of our distortion of our broken reality, of our world, which the very thing we look down inside of ourselves and go, I think that'll save me, is the very thing that gets, no, that's going to kill you. It's going to take you out. That's true for all of us. And so we need the gospel. We need to discover it. We discover it through the embodied person and work of Jesus, who is the gospel. And we recognize this when he trades... That God, uh, when we trade God's truth, his design for lies, created things. We, we go, Jesus, I, I don't know if I, I want you or need you. We, we don't want your clear, undistorted picture reflecting God's goodness and reality. We choose something else. In fact, we so need this to live embodied, male and female, that I would break it up in this way. We need Jesus' physical body, we need the New Testament body, and we need his body broken. See, concerning the remedy to all the things that we've listed already, concerning equality, Jesus' physical body is the picture of equality. I want to get theological on you for a moment. This will be my smallest point. Jesus, who, born of a virgin, embodied male, honors and distinguishes and, and dignifies both genders equally. There, and if you look at his life and his ministry, we see that, that culturally so he honors and dignifies the, the, the women and the, and the female gender that he comes into contact with when culturally it was not so. We also see that although in a Jewish context was a teacher and, and quite a prominent one at that, gaining quite the audience, chose the role of a servant. Jesus' body is the picture. His physical life is the picture of equality. Concerning distinction, we have the New Testament body of Christ. That is the church. That's Paul's favorite metaphor for the church in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says that although all members are equal, valuable, needed, they are, distinct, or they are distinct in their gifting according to the Holy Spirit, and each is valuable and needed to the health and the whole of the body. Church, we've been really harping on that the last few years, going, you know, no, no, you can't do this on your own. The task is beyond you. And, and we didn't even tap into, and it's clearly in the text, this image of marriage. You know, Adam and Eve, you know, and, and some of you, if you are in singleness right now, if you are in a, in a marriage that is difficult, or you're in a marriage where this, this isn't just speaking to reproduction, but perhaps this the thing on the front of your minds where the one thing that should work is not, we have the remedy given in the picture of the body of Christ. Where you're, you are not your singleness, you are a daughter 
and you are valued, you are a son, and you are valued, and you are wanted. Where, where your marriage is not everything that you think it should be and want it to be. Like, when you think of our brokenness as a culture, think of all the hopes we place on marriage. That we think this is the one person who's going to fill me, you know, emotionally, romantically, relationally, in every capacity. And guess what? They won't. And you'll wake up, you know, one, two, five, ten years down the road and go, oh, the remedy is the church. For those of you who are going, we, we can't have a family. My hope's in a family. You're given an eternal one. You see, we're meant to, and this speaks to our mission as the body of Christ, we're meant to embody Christ's example, not perfect, we can't be, but living, maturing, and growing, being conformed and transformed into his image, that we would be appropriate representations of grace and truth. Church, I gotta, here's where I'll be blunt where I'm at. I desperately want Mission Hill Church to be an acceptable, welcoming holding the tension well kind of church where we don't look at others and go, I don't really know what to do with you. We look at others and go, we are all far from the person of Christ and we are on that journey to become more like that through grace and truth. Would you join? Like we, we need that. Well, we need to, and, we, and what a wonderful place the body of Christ, for somebody who comes in and says, I don't like the body I'm in. Well, then come join a really awkward family. <laughs> that we can have compassion on that. And if you were to ask me, Aaron, could, can somebody be saved if they don't like the body they're in? They think they're the wrong gender. They think that they're the wrong person. They think that there's something that they're not created to be that is self-evident. I would say, yes, I do think such a person can be saved. And I do think such a person can grow in a maturing relationship with Jesus that one day they might go, you know what? I still struggle, but I'm coming to an understanding of the freedom and the beauty that is God's design, and I want more of it. This is true for the heterosexual as well, because our men are taught to be conquerors and our women are taught to be something else. And that is not the image of Christ. Just one is a lot more acceptable, or at least comfortable, perhaps. And so we can journey together as co-laborers. They would also speak to this concerning our identity. We need Jesus' broken body. You see, the tension that ought to be felt in the church, wanting to be faithful to God's word and loving to the community has often fallen short when people have, have given up love to hold truth or given up truth to embody grace. You know, here's, here's like for anyone who's wondering on the outside, here's what's usually going on in the heart of somebody who just doesn't know what to do. They're like, if I, if I bend on what I see in Scripture, then maybe I lose Jesus, and I'd rather not lose Jesus than accept you. And yet I invite you to consider, if Jesus was in the room, who do you think he'd talk to? The Pharisees were the group of people who were like, I got it all going on. I know what I'm doing. Like, oh, he talked to them, but it was like, Whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, hypocrites. 
get your stuff together. You know, you have it, but you don't know it. But he went and he spoke softly to the brokenhearted, the distorted, the lost, the un, unfriended. And, he, and he, what did he say to them? I see you. I love you. I'm inviting you to follow me. But it's an invitation that says, just as I have left everything behind, so do you. So that you can enter my kingdom. Like that's, that's the tension of grace and, and truth. Church, yeah, it's awkward, it's hard, but we're calling you into doing it. You see, the cross calls us, it beckons us to understand that we are totally undone, yet miraculously upheld in Jesus. There is something inside of me that would much rather just preach grace upon grace upon grace without truth, but that's to give you Jesus without the cross. And that's not a Jesus worth knowing. But the cross tells you, you are radically undone, but miraculously upheld. And the first service told me this landed, so I'm going to use it again. I, you know I love C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. There is a scene in where the, the nightly leader of the mice, Reepicheep, I feel like the, the, the story loses its value when you use his name. So it just... <laughs> He stands before Aslan, his king, and knowing he has the power to heal, he, he, he recognizes that after a great battle, he's been bereft of his tail. And he says to the king, says to Aslan, I can eat, I can sleep, I can die for you, but the honor and glory of a mouse is his tail. I can serve you, but my body, if it's not the way I think it should be, I don't know who I am. And Aslan replies, I have sometimes wondered, friend, whether you think too much of your honor. The beauty of it is it continues in this way where Aslan asks the leader of the mice, why have your friends drawn their swords? And they speak up saying, we could not bear the shame of wearing an honor that is denied our friend. And then Aslan, remem remembering the stone table, that C.S. Lewis's picture of the cross, where the king dies for the love of his friends and conquers death, looks on the mouse who says, I cannot live if I am in this state. And he says, oh, you've conquered me. And he grants him his tail. See, church, you see, acceptance without repentance is not the gospel. And repentance felt without the promise of acceptance is judgmental. And we're supposed to live in that tension of truth and grace where we can know this is the truth as we look to our Savior, Jesus. The cross tells us that because you, sorry, because he was broken, you can be put together. Because he was distorted, you can be restored. And because he was unmade, you can be remade in his image. Let me pray. And then our music team is going to come up. So Father, I pray that lands in such a way that, Lord, we have courage to enter into difficult spaces and love as you loved and be truthful as you were truthful. Thank you, Jesus, that your scripture gives us an objective truth that, Lord, 
It's beautiful and it's freeing, but Lord, it, it will sting. It will hurt because it reveals to us that we've put aside your blueprint for our own and our own is actually the thing that we thought was saving us, Lord, is killing us. So Jesus, this is for those who receive it by the work of your Holy Spirit, changing their hearts, changing their minds to say, I understand, or at least I'm becoming more able to understand. The thing I thought that saved me is killing me. I need a savior. May they not look at us, may they look at the one we point to, and that's Jesus, the only one, undistorted and true, who fully accepts, invites us through a life of repentance, to have total freedom, to be miraculously upheld in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.